0: good to see you guys here and thanks for finding this venue we haven't ever done it in the shed before so we thought we'd give it a try Uh, we normally were in the gym but we kind of thought this was a little more intimate so hopefully you didn't have to search too hard to find this location but um, we're excited about this series so the idea is we'll be doing four weeks in a row this fall and then we'll do four weeks again in February so um, don't have the topic yet for February, but we will let you know when we, when we land on something. You guys can always, uh, we have a Facebook page for Parent U, and you can always email me or uh, put something on the Facebook page, especially if there's a topic you'd like us to cover. We'd be glad to consider that and uh, always looking for things that are relevant to what your particular needs are as, as a family or as a parent. So let us know uh, that as well. This, uh, this month, or these four weeks, we're going to be talking this fall about unity, about family unity. And I know you probably never had your unity attacked as a family. Uh, that's probably not something that you, need, you struggle with. But it is something, at least in our household, that we have a hard time with, that there are things that are kind of constantly attacking our family's unity. And, and really, we think unity is something that we should value as a family. Um, And so how do you fight for this unity? How do you have intentionality in in, in order to keep your family unified through the teenage years? And so that's kind of what we're going to be kind of covering. And today we're really just kind of opening that up. Um, So I want to start with, like, what are things that divide us as a family during the teen years? If you think about that, during the teen years, what kinds of things are dividing you. Now, in the past at Parent U, uh, a few maybe in the, the last series I did a thing where kind of comparing y- uh, your family system almost to like a solar system, right? And when you think about it, when your kids are little, again, if you think of the solar system or the earth, the satellite that revolves around the earth is the moon, right? You're revolving around the sun. And Everything is in order in that, in that sense, right? That Like if God is the son and, and then there's you and then your kids are kind of revolving around your world, right? That is the way they are when they're little. You incorporate them into your life and unless you're really child-centered in theory, right, then then they're revolving around your world and your priorities and those things. And that, that works really well, right? We, we have this, this unity. It's easy because everybody has to get in line and follow uh, what... What we're doing, what I'm doing. That's the priority. Now, uh, this is best illustrated. A friend of mine uh, named Alfie, he told me that he, uh, every year when he would go on vacation, and I love this story, he, he would get his kids in the car and he would find a reason to spank all of them on the way to Florida. <laughs> he would spank all four. He had four kids. He would spank all four of them before he got to Florida. And he said they had the greatest vacation ever. Because think about that. He is saying, hey, we're getting in line, I'm setting the priorities, I'm I'm laying down the law right away, but he was unifying the family, right? This is, we're about this, it's not about you, it's about us having a good time, and he was establishing that. Okay, now think about that as a teenager, if you, on the way to Florida, decided to have it out with your teenager each time you went down there, how would that vacation go? Not so good, right? Right? I don't know about you, my, my kids, I have one or two that I think would brood the whole time, and they would pretty much ruin the whole rest of the vacation, I think, if I decided to try to lay the law down in that way. So um, so this attack on unity happens because as our kids are growing, as we enter into the teen years, right, they have their own schedules. That's one of those things that attacks your unity. They have their own schedule. They're, you are, I don't know, I feel like a glorified chauffeur sometimes, Uh, trying to keep up with us. In fact, when Cammie's out of town, I feel like I'm texting her every five, wait, now who has to be picked up now? Wait a second, what is this thing? I mean, I think her part-time job is just to keep up with our kids' schedules sometimes because they have their own schedules and they don't coincide with mine. And not only that, we never fully know what their schedule is. That's one of the things that's so frustrating. They're like, oh, yeah, by the way, oh, Yeah. And what's, I mean, I'm that way, so Cammy's already had to put up with me her whole life because I'm super unstructured, but now I have, like, these mini-me's walking around who are just worse than me, and it really annoys me when they're more unstructured than I am. And so it, it, it can make you crazy. Uh, they have their own ideas, right? They, they are thinking about things. Uh, they're throwing us curveballs all the time. They have their own priorities, okay? And their priorities don't line up with mine, They, they're, they're different. Hormones. God, I don't know why he kind of, well, he's got to throw them in there somewhere, right? He adds this hyper injection of hormones into their life, which just makes everything kind of go haywire for a period of time, at least, uh, that can make what seems like a normal problem. Like, again, when they were in fifth grade or fourth grade, if you had this issue, oh, we address it, you know, maybe there's some tears and then you're fine. You throw a bunch of hormones in the mix and... What is one little comment, suddenly there's tears and you know, stuff being thrown around. I mean, it can totally change the dynamic when you throw that in. Their friends are more important. Um, suddenly, part of that unity is broken up because now their friendships, those peer relationships become the most important thing. It doesn't mean as a parent that you and I aren't very important. All, all the statistics and studies show when they survey students that your parent, the parent is always a very important aspect of their life. But now their peer relationships start to take on a much bigger role, right? And how they feel about that. You may even have that situation where, oh, it's time to go on vacation. It's spring break. Oh, well, I want to go with my friend. Suddenly now, I don't want to go with the family on vacation because my friends are going, and that relationship is important to me. And they might be going someplace cooler than we are, so I want to go on vacation with my friends. Um, and the main thing that I think can can mess this up for us, and we've talked about this before in Parent You, is we go from clearly defined boundaries to ambiguity, right? Now, we've kind of been having these, these boundaries that have been defined, and you kind of know where your kid is every second, and you know. And now they're talking to whoever. You don't know what's going on. There's just a lot we don't know, and the world that we live in now with teenagers is very ambiguous, and there, there's got to be a lot of trust. There's got to be, because they're, doing, they're involved in a lot of things we don't know. They're talking to people we don't know. We don't control every aspect of their environment anymore, and so that changes the game. Now, Then you got to look at us and and when it comes to unity. Our jobs, uh, it tends to be, I don't know if this is the way it is for you, but your career as an adult tends to ramp up about this time, right? A lot of us have, at least parents that I interact with, you're at positions of more authority probably than you've ever had, more pressures than you've ever had. Your career can be, you know, a lot of the earning potential and stuff is there, but usually with that comes quite a bit of responsibility, right? And there's so... There is a ton of, pre- of stress and pressure uh, on us at this time. Um, menopause might hit you while you have teenagers. Now, I don't know what kind of cruel joke that is going on. It's God's like, okay, we have this, in, you know, all these hormones going on over here, and then we're going to totally mess with you over here, and let's throw these two together and see what happens, you know. And that just sounds insane, but y- you might be dealing with that, right? Uh, just to throw something in the mix. Um, Multiple kids pull us in different directions, especially if you have, like me, a 10 year span in ages. Boy, the different things that are going on, different activities. Or even if you have a lot of kids in the same age range, but they all are doing sports or they're all doing different things, I mean, that can really pull you around in different things. You've got blended families. Um, blended families. As you throw families together, uh, maybe you're on a second marriage or something, that can totally mess with your unity. It can be an adjustment that takes place through all of that. And then you've got the cultural divide, Gen X versus Millennials versus Generation Z. I think that's what they're calling this new one. Um, it's a di- the, the divide is bigger than it seems to have been in quite a while. Um, this next generation is growing up on screens, multiple screens. They are better at technology than we are, and we're supposed to be the police. That's a crazy kind of combination. When, when How many of you really understand how Snapchat works, you know? Yeah, a, a few of my staff, you know, uh, have their hand raised. Snapchat, I mean, it's a video world. And they're on the way to school, and they're, they're taking pictures, and they're developing their Snap story through the day, and, and then it disappears right after. And, and it's crazy the way this technology is moving and going forward, and this, it's creating this divide between us. So I want you to spend some time around your tables talking about some, a few questions. One is, so how was your family unified when you were growing up? Okay. Did you feel like your family was, was united? and when you were growing up, what contributed to it or kept it from happening, all right? What contributed to your family dynamic and what kept it from happening? And then what is the barrier to unity in your family right now, okay? So let's take a few minutes and just uh, talk about that. Hopefully that led to some good discussion around your table, maybe some, some things that you found that really unified you um, when you were growing up, I know, at least around our table, of course, when it comes to barriers that we experience now, busyness was like the number one thing, kind of thrown out there, busyness and logistics, and um, and certainly uh, some really cool things came up from like childhood. I don't know, things that like one person at our table said that they had one night on the weekend, they had to stay home, and it was like family night. We, we do that as well. We have a family night. I don't think it's every week, though. It's probably... We're lucky to get two in a month, probably at, at this at this point, but that's a, a neat idea. I heard family dinners, uh, like we had Sunday lunch, was like a, a, a something that was a stake in the ground or vacation time. Did anybody want to share something real quick from a table that was either a good idea or a barrier or something that you want to uh, mention briefly? But you don't have to. That's okay. All right. Um, well, as we uh, as we move forward, then let's. You know, thinking about this idea that as so the, the they're like the moon, right, or a satellite mm-hmm. of our world when they're little. But as they grow up, and I, I failed to mention this, it's kind of like they become their own planet. Now think about that. If the moon became its own planet, what would happen to this world right now? It would be messed up, right? The gravitational pull would cause tidal waves and earthquakes and things like that. And that's what happens in our family systems when our kids start to become grown-ups. They're, they have their own pressures and their own world and their own gravitational pull. So they've been in our gravitational pull till now and then this, this conflict starts because now they're messing with my system. They're messing with the way things are and my pleasant little world and sometimes it is an earthquake, right, in our world when that happens and, and it can be difficult. Um, we're going to look at Colossians 3. We're going to pretty much stay there in Colossians 3 and I think this, this will be up on the screen starting in verse 12. Now, again, the context of this is the church, although it's really interesting, you'll see uh, it kind of ends right into families, right into the family system. So let me read that. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if any... And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged." Okay, so it's interesting to me that he goes through this thing of how, you know, how we're supposed to clothe ourselves with these amazing characteristics, which we're going to unpack this a little bit later, like kindness and humility and meekness, and then he kind of dumps all that into, at the bottom, talking, going right into the family system. So he's initially talking about the church, and he goes right into the family. I think there's an implied unity, there's an implied structure to the family that you find throughout Scripture. all the way in Genesis, you've got male and female, right? He, he says, I created them male and female, be fruitful and multiply. So he talks about the family system right out of the gate in Genesis. Um, it's always interesting to me when I think about the first family, how unified was the first family, Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel, Seth, not a very good, you know, it's kind of a hot mess, right? Right out of the gate, sin entered the world. Oldest son kills the next son, and then he's banished. You know, that I, I take comfort when I think about when my family's messed up. I'm kind of like, well, it's kind of been that way from, from the fall, right out of the gate, uh, that we have this. Um, you see in First, uh, First Timothy 3 and Titus, uh, for elders, when you're looking at that, it talks about how an elder, you shouldn't have an elder if you can't control or order his household well. Okay, so again, that implies that there's a unity that is ideal that God is looking for. There's a structure. There's a, uh, there, is, there is this order that should take place. And then, of course, you have here, and th- this is alluded to in, other, in Ephesians 5 and 6 as well, that above, you know, he says, you know, he moves into this structure within the family that um, wives should submit or respect, husbands should love and give themselves up, children obey, fathers don't provoke, okay? So there's always, uh, what's, what's interesting here is you kind of have this, uh, this reciprocity that takes place within the family system. Um, so we've got like the husband, the wife, and the children, okay? Like, obviously there could be multiple C's, but you see how you have, the husband is supposed to love his wife, right, and give himself up for her. In other, in other scriptures it says this, so, you know, in the other scriptures also talk about, you know, a husband, if he loves his own body, he loves his wife as his own body, it's supposed to reflect Christ's love for the church, and then there's a reciprocity that takes place for her to respect and uh, her husband, okay? You see that happening, this reciprocal, obviously, if he's not loving her the way he's supposed to, that, that the respect is very difficult to give, right? So this reciprocity takes place, and likewise, with the children, you've got... There's, a, there's an obey that takes place, right, that is mentioned within the Scripture. But then the, the, the father is always the one, of course, since he's in charge of the household, that is given that responsibility to not provoke his kids, to not uh, pile on them. To you know, there's, So this reciprocity that takes place within this family system and this order, this unity, if all this is working the way... God designed it to work, right, then then it's easier to do these things. It's easier for your kids to obey if we're not piling on them and being unreasonable in the things that we're we're requiring of them, right? And likewise, it's easier for us not to pile on them if they're nice, obedient children, right? In theory, that takes place. Uh, Sin enters into all these things, obviously, which makes it very difficult to do. Um, Now, I do want to make an important distinction when we're talking about family unity, what I'm not talking about that we need to make sure we're, we're throwing it out here is there's a difference in family unit, unity and an idol of tranquility, okay? Let's keep that in mind. There's a difference in family unity, being unified and moving in the same direction, everybody rowing in the same direction, and an idol of tranquility. I can have an idol of tranquility in my house where I won't deal with conflict. I don't want anybody to bother me. I don't want... household to be upset that is different from moving towards family unity right conflict is a normal part of the things that we all have to deal with we all have conflict in our homes conflict is normal and and natural and that's part of life that we have to to have these discussions and work through these things but if it's all about me just not wanting anybody to bother me or because i've had a hard day at work whatever that is not unity that's tranquility that i'm looking for and i don't think the Bible never really says that that is a part of what we're supposed to be going for, okay? Um, now, you see when we, you get into this plan, we, have, we actually have a, an idea here that we're working towards. I'm on a team called the Family Transformation Team, which is a cross-functional team at the church, and I meet with other people from different departments, and we try to figure out how can we help make the family healthier, and we're working on this. This is something we meet on a regular basis. You wonder what I do other than Sundays, and that's one of the things I do is is work on that team. And we came up with this kind of this little rubric of, okay, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a pathway to being missional as a family, to being outward focused as a family. And part of that pathway, at least the, the way we look at it, is if you have a healthy person and two healthy people get married, hopefully then you can have a healthy marriage, right? And if you have a healthy marriage, then hopefully you have healthy parenting that results from that. And if you have healthy parenting, then you can have a missional family, okay? Um, Now, I don't know if that's always the case, right? It's easy to say, and this is like a goal that we're working for, all right? I know that if you go backwards, it doesn't work very well. Like, it's, it's very difficult to be a missional family if you have unhealthy parenting going on, right? And it's very difficult to parent well if your marriage is messed up, right? If your marriage is unhealthy and you're constantly fighting with your spouse, it's hard to be great parents, I think. And then it's hard to have a great marriage if one of you or both of you are very unhealthy, right? So it definitely works backwards. You can see the structure kind of in place. It doesn't mean, I don't think necessarily that we can say, if you are healthy as a person, you're going to have a healthy marriage. I think you still. There's things you got to work on. Or even if you have a healthy marriage, that doesn't necessarily make you great parents. So I'm not saying it always works forward, but it definitely is a barrier going backwards. Do you see what I'm saying in talking about this? And so a fighting family has a difficult time being missional, just like a fighting church. If the church is in conflict... Uh, as, a, as a body, like a perimeter is just infighting and everybody's, and everybody's sending emails and, oh, I can't stand this and why is this going on? Are we out sharing our faith and doing what we're supposed to do as a church? I mean, think about that. If the church is unified, it's easier for us to be doing outreach and to be loving others and to love our neighbors. But if we're constantly focused on our own conflict and ourselves and that unity is broken down, that's not going to happen. And so the same thing I think can be said of our family system. If your family is just constantly embroiled in all of these things, then it's hard to look outward and see what other people's needs are, right? Because I'm too busy focusing on my needs. If I walk into my house and it's a war zone every week, every day, then I'm not thinking about loving the guy at work or loving my neighbor. I'm too busy thinking about the problem that I have when I hit the door. Um, Other people are watching us. They're looking at our system and they're looking at our families, especially the unbelieving world, and they're going, what is different about this? If our families don't look different from anybody else's family, we don't. It makes the idea of sharing Christ more difficult as well. If they're thinking, "Well, gosh, your your daughter won't even talk to you," or you know, your son ran away from home last year, or, or you know, whatever. If it's just if our families are just horribly messed up, the outside world looks in and goes, "Hey, I don't know that you have anything to offer me." And so I think that's something that we need to keep in mind as we're we're looking at this to to be unified. We may not even be unified within our own families. We also have unbelievers within our own families, right? I mean, a lot of us at various stages, I would assume, I don't want to assume, but a lot of us look at our kids and go, I don't really know if they get this yet, or I don't know if they're believers yet. Or maybe you're sure that they're not believers. Now, what does that do to our family unity, right? That can definitely throw a curve at us as we're praying for our kids, as we are witnessing to our kids. And, you know, having this unity is important uh, and seeking unity so that God is glorified even there within our own families. So as we talk about unity, um, we're, as Christians, we're called to be unified with other Christians, to be salt and light. And because of that, we need to look at our own homes as we teach and instruct our children and model the gospel to the kids that are under our own roof. So, um, how? How do we do this? How do we fight for unity within our own families? Uh, first, and we're going to cover these in the next few weeks. I'm going to touch on them here. Uh, we're going to begin with our own marriage, right, to make sure that it's a firm foundation. So, how is our marriage the kind of foundation that it needs to be in order to be unified as a family? Um, We need to know that unity isn't unyielding okay unity has to to stretch we have to stretch i love in the in the passage that we looked at today it says bear with one another how do you bear with one another and that is again if everybody has to get in line around my gravitational pull i'm not stretching i'm not allowing my child to grow okay if i don't allow them to grow and become their own person because i'm not willing to yield at all that's not going to happen we're going to unpack that uh, as well. And so looking at this passage from Colossians 3, though, what's amazing is it's, this isn't a, dis, a different recipe for the family than there is for the church. This is, it's relevant for us, even as we look in the family, to say, hey, if I'm supposed to treat other believers this way in the church, how much more so is this relevant to my own family, to my own family system? And I think this really gives a great kind of entry for us in, into, into that. So let me read Colossians 3 again. I'm going to just hit a few things, and then uh, I'll be done with my, with my portion here. Um, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him all right so compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness patience bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Obviously, this is a great recipe. If you were going to say, hey, if I'm going to throw everything in the pot for family unity, these are ingredients that you would want to throw in there, right? These are things that you're going to want to throw in the pot. This is definitely, uh, and especially that bearing with one another, forgiving each other. It's hard as our kids grow with all those things we talked about, and now they have their own opinions and their own schedules and their own priorities How do we bear with them? How do we forgive them? And then he goes on to say how we do that. Well, first of all, love is the key. It binds it all together, right? It binds it all together is as we love one another well. You know, often you hear this thing, are you a lenient parent or are you a strict parent or what kind of parent are you? And I've always heard, you know, it almost doesn't matter in some ways as long as you're consistent and loving. Okay, you can be like really strict, but if you really communicate that love, love does bind it together, right? Your parenting style, if it's, if it's totally uh, couched in this unconditional love and your kids get that part, um, then that's, there's, there's power there. I noticed that this says, if, you, if this is the way you act, there's gonna, the words that kind of stick out, harmony, peace, and thankfulness, are, are three of the words that jump out of me at this passage. Harmony, peace, and thankfulness. I want harmony and peace in my family. And I definitely think thankfulness is a part of that. When we are looking with clear eyes at what God has given us in that family to be thankful to God is a part of that recipe. And then lastly, the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, right? An overflow of what God is doing in our hearts, if we are allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, and that means going to the Lord through the means of grace, through prayer, through scripture, saturating our lives with that. When you do that, there should be an overflow of that into our the lives of our families because quite honestly we cannot do the first part of this kindness humility meekness and patience there's no way I can do this without the power of the holy spirit working in me right i need a savior my kids need a savior i'm going to mess up i'm going to get irritated when my schedule gets messed with i'm going to i don't like to have to jump in the car at the last minute and go you know to the store because my kid has a project tomorrow that they never told me about and I want to eat their face off when that happens, quite honest, okay? That's just the way, that, that's real. But when the word of Christ is dwelling in me richly, it can overflow, and, the, and it can teach and mold me, okay, to, to shape me into what I need to be when we do that. Um, teach, admonish, and sing. And, and I, every time I do this passage, I love this Idea, Because that's what he tells you to do here. He says, when we say, okay, the word dwells in me, I should teach, I should admonish, and I should sing. Those are the three things it tells you to do. And we always forget the singing part, okay? We want to teach and admonish. We get that, all right? Okay, yeah, here, do this, do that. But the singing part, we forget. And I just find it, I don't know about you, I find singing, spontaneous singing, is very difficult to do when you're not enjoying what's going on, right? Like, You're not like, oh, I'm in a horrible mood. I'm going to sing right now with the radio or sing in the shower. Nobody does that. You don't sing when you feel bad. You sing when you're like, oh, I'm in a great mood and this is a cool song. and Right? No matter what it is, then you want to sing. Okay? If we're enjoying the Lord, if we're enjoying him, we sing. And we sing around our kids. We sing so they can see that. If we don't enjoy each other and if we don't enjoy the Lord you're not going to sing, okay? So that overflow of the heart is a part of what we want to see happening. And you can only do this through Christ. And I know it's a tall order. I'm overwhelmed by this list of things that I'm supposed to be. um, And only by surrendering to the Lord daily can I possibly hope to achieve this, okay? Um, And understand that we're going to fail. We're going to reach the limits. Our love sometimes is conditional with our kids, and they Blow it, and their love is definitely conditional with us at times, right? When we make them unhappy, they will let us know that uh, that they're unhappy. And so, we're going to reach the limits. We need Jesus in all this. And so, uh, Cami's going to come up and share, and let me let me pray for her. And again, that's where we're going. We're going to talk about the family, uh, your your marriage. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that as far as unity goes. We're going to talk about stretching, and we're going to talk about conditional love over the next three weeks. Okay, and let me pray. Uh, as Cami comes up. Lord, thank you for your word, which teaches us. Thank you that you constantly remind us that we need a Savior, and uh, we reach the limits of, of who we are on a daily basis, and, and we need you moment by moment, day by day. And um, drive these truths down into our hearts. Let the word of Christ overflow richly in us as we teach and admonish and as we sing with our families. Uh, help us to learn together uh, to be unified and to strive for that so that our families would be a picture of, uh, of love, a picture of Christian unity for the world to see, and that we would be able to see outside of ourselves into others. And in all this we pray. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I, Keep talking. I hate
1: to do microphones because I never remember to hold it next to my mouth. There you go. I always am like, so anyway, I talk with my hands, so it's always a challenge. Um, I'm Kami Summers. I'm Jeff's wife. Um, he's done Parent U for a long time, and when he started doing Parent U for the first year, I just sat with y'all, and I listened, and about a year into it, I said, um, this isn't what it looks like at our house. <laughs> And and so I wanted, I I wanted to share because it's so great to hear that unity is important, and it's so great to hear um, these biblical truths. And to, but to try and live them is a lot harder. And so I just want to, if you are struggling, if you feel like an utter failure, if you (laughs) fought with your kids on the way to school and only on the way to church this morning and only made it here because of God's grace and mercy, then you're in the right place because it's hard these things are hard. Um, my foundation is broken. Uh, when you talk about your original family and unity and what that looks like, for me, I, my, I get division, um, but unity is really, really hard. My parents divorced when I was six, and I grew up in a household that was in a family system that was very divided. There were factions, there was no unity. And it wasn't even really a value. Um, instead of seeking reconciliation in the face of conflict, people withdrew. Um, love was conditional. And um, no one ever said they were sorry. So the whole idea of seeking unity is kind of foreign to me um, and my experience. And when my kids were little, this was easy, right? Like, when my kids were little, there was one way my way. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> did you like that? Like, you liked being able to go, stop it. <laughs> and they did. Or if you play in the street, you'll get a spanking. And and so they didn't. And so it was easy. But all of a sudden, one day, they woke up, and they had these opinions. And they were opinions I didn't give them. And they were offensive to me. And I found myself having to des- defend and explain my reasons and my decisions. And it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting, it's consuming, it's, it's energy draining, it's time consuming and irritating and frustrating and exhausting. And I know I said that twice, but that was on purpose because it is so exhausting. Um, I just want them to do what I want them to do, right? Is that just too much to ask? If I'm honest, unity is a struggle for me. And if you add to it the hormones, both theirs and mine, and the messy house and the busy schedules, it just seems like a recipe for brokenness and division. And I don't really even know how to fight for unity. I know how to withdraw, I know how to get up in their face and yell at them, but I don't know how to fight for unity or what that really looks like in my own experience. And so this has been kind of a figuring it out. And I've I can attest to the Holy Spirit's faithfulness in the process. As I'm on the edge of doom, he pulls me back from saying those things that I shouldn't say or he pushes me forward when I want to withdraw and and pull away from them. He is so faithful to call me and remind me to show them the same grace that I have been shown. Um, the, fast, the, <laughs> the past couple of weeks, I have had a case of chicken littles. Do you know what chicken littles is? You know, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Do you guys ever do that? Like, I don't know if it's hormonal. I don't know if it's circumstances. But the wringing of your hands and the ah, chicken littles. And... um. It's not unfounded. There's a lot of unknownness in my life right now, a lot of insecurity. But in it, I find that I am quick to doubt, quick to question God, and quick to second-guess his plans, much like my teens. I can give God an earful of how I would do things differently, how I could write a better story than he could. Is that familiar to you guys at all in your houses? And even as I sat down last night to write this, um, I was struck by one of the greatest gifts to me of parenting, and that's the picture of God's love for me. (laughs) When my kids were little, I remember them sleeping in their cribs, and you would go in, and they were so cute. Weren't they so cute? And I can remember standing over the crib and going, oh, this is what God must feel like when he looks at me. As if I'm cute and sweet like a baby, right? No, God's sense of humor, really, the better picture of God's love is of my teenager screaming at me with fists bald, telling me how my plans are wrong, doubting my love, doubting my wisdom, questioning my motives. That's more like God's love for me in the face of it. Um, I often say that raising teens is kind of the grad school of parenting because it's so sanctifying. Um, And it's frustrating when they doubt us. They doubt our motives. They doubt our wisdom. Because it makes me feel, and maybe it's just me, but it makes me go, don't they know how much I've sacrificed for them? They can't even begin to imagine the time and energy and money, not to mention the stretch marks. And, you know, it's true. They can't. And neither can I. I have no idea how much God loves me or how much walking on this worth cost him, much less the cross, right? Honestly, it's easy for me to act just like my teens and be like, Yeah, God, but what have you done for me today? What about what I want? What about my way? It grieves my heart when I think about the fact that my teen's arrogance and ignorance is really just a reflection of my own. And yet God really does love me. Even though I don't deserve it, his love is greater than my sin. And he lovingly shows me the wrongness of my ways, not with a lightning bolt of judgment, but with a gentle whisper. These past two weeks, God has been showing me how much I am like Israel, how much I grumble and complain and doubt God, and it has been so good because as he has, he's been drawing my heart to a new awareness of thanksgiving. I think the hardest thing about being the parent of a teen in this day and time, in Johns Creek, in this area, is the sense of entitlement and the lack of thankfulness. Have you been offended by your kid's attitude about that? Yeah. Um, But as I've thought about this, I have to confess that I'm just as ungrateful. I live in a land of milk and honey. You know, I've never had to go to bed hungry. I've never not had something to wear. I was complaining about the dirtiness of my house this week, and I got one of those Compassion, we sponsor a child. And they had, like, all the pictures of bedrooms around the world. And I was like, some of them don't even have walls. Like, and I'm complaining about the stains in my carpet? How utterly offensive that must be to God. My ingratitude. So... I want to challenge you for a bit of introspection. If your teen is driving you crazy, is it because their offenses are marrying your own sin? Is the battle for unity in your house because your sin rubs up against their sin and each of you is drawing blood from the other? Um... When two broken pieces, I have that picture. Do you have that picture? Um, When two broken pieces are put together, there will always be gaps and cracks. And we're broken, and they're broken, and the unity we're searching for is going to be affected by that brokenness. So we have to ask Jesus to come in and fill up our gaps. Um, It's hard to be one in brokenness. It involves a lot of I'm sorry's, a lot of grace, a lot of mercy, and even more unconditional love. (laughs) Your your love has to be unconditional because no teen is trying to meet the conditions of your love. Um, They don't even try. You may be good at that, but I'll confess I'm not. Though I'm getting better. With two teens and a tween who thinks she's a teen, being the moms of teens humbles me and keeps me on my knees, which is probably the best thing about being the mom of a teen because that's the position where we see God the biggest. So I just want to encourage you. This walk is hard, but you are not alone. And if it's hard for you too, then let's talk as groups. I mean, part of the reason that we want to have Parent you is because I do think this season of life can be so isolating. Um, With the busyness, it's hard to connect with others, and you have to really work at it. So we want Parent U to be a community where you can come and feel like it's a safe place and where you can share some of this broken struggle for unity. So that's all we have today. I do want to just close this in prayer. I know we've already prayed a bit, but I want to pray one more time. Dear Lord, we thank you that you understand our struggle, and you love us in spite of ourselves, and you are working in each of our lives. You are working through our teens to draw us to dependence on you because there's no way we could do this in our own strength. We need you desperately. And so we cry out for you today and ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us grace and mercy and love instead of anger and self-righteousness and indignation. And Lord, draw our teens to know you. To know you. We just pray for them. There are so many stresses and, and demands on their lives. And, and I just pray that each child that's represented by a parent in this room today would know you as Lord and Savior. And that our example would point them always to the cross. And I thank you so much for this time together. I do pray that you would make us into a community. Make us at Parent U one as we seek to parent our kids to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Thank you, Cammy. I love the picture of the looking over the sleeping baby. I feel like at night when I'm wearing my softball champs of 99 t-shirt and my gym shorts that double as pajamas and painting clothes, and I'm laying in bed with my arm across my wife's face snoring that she looks at me and thinks, I'm so blessed. (laughs) So it's, I totally get what you're saying, Cammie. Thank you. Yep. Um, Hey, just want to let you know one other thing this Wednesday. So what we do once a month on Wednesdays is a thing called Rush, not to be confused with our summer conference Rush, but these are like mini Rushes. They're student-led student plan, and what we're trying to do is get them into a mentality of a missional mindset, being evangelistic, because our Sunday nights are more geared for the believer, which we welcome non-believers, but it's more geared for that. So we want to provide that once a month opportunity to be missional, to get our kids out, and we're going to be trained a little bit more evangelistic with, uh, with the students. So just want to let y'all know that that's this Wednesday at 7.00, if the students aren't being evangelistic, we know that you just didn't pay attention and you don't have unity in your household. So, so we will be coming to you and calling you out when we see that. Just kidding, but uh, y'all have a great Sunday. We hope to see y'all here next week, same time, 9 a.m., donuts, coffee, and great teaching. Thank y'all. We love y'all.